This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafuma. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Hello, Mississippi. How you doing this evening? Good to see all of you all this evening. God, we thank you for your presence, your power, your mercy, your grace, and your love, God. We thank you, God, that you have told us that we are supposed to cry loud and spare not and lift our voice, lift our call like a trumpet, like a shofar, that your people might know the way to justice, to love, and to mercy. Now, God, give us teaching power and the power to hear, understand, and when we hear and understand, to do. Thank you, God. For this church, thank you for these people. Thank you for this state. Thank you for all of the organizers. Thank you for life, health, and strength. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Pastor Dickey, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Where's Pastor? Am I looking? There he is. Thank you so much for opening up at this congregation and this church fellowship to be here on tonight. I want you all to know in that video, what was one of the things that you saw in that video? It had a little bit of everybody. Did you see it black and white? It's representative of the work of Repairs to the Breach, the Poor People's Campaign. We have now 42 states that have coordinating committees and mobilizing together, right? And I'm going to tell you in a minute why that's important. I, I told Sister Crowell uh, when she asked we would come and her husband, we would come for this effort and we would come. She said, well, what do I need to do to make it so you can come? I said, just say come and find a building. I said, we're not worried about money and stuff. This is too important. This is the time that we're in. And um, now I did not know in the between time that God would once again prove to me just how much God is, God. Uh, but every now and then God will keep right on reminding you just how much God is God. As I was telling Danielle, who's our lead coordinator, organizer, uh, here in, in um, Mississippi, and Mark Thompson, who's here, uh, who works with us in Repairs of Beach, but he's a renowned um, uh, radio announcer. And by the way, we are live streaming right now, so let's, what's the, where, where do we go, Eric? Where do we want to send people? Get your telephones out if you can text. Okay, we're going to do a little organizing. Huh? It's on the podium, y'all see it right there? Okay, get your phone out and text five people. We're in an organizing meeting tonight. Text five people and tell them to tune in right there. Is that right there? Is that right there? Yeah, tell, text. If you can text. If not, we got a couple of young people. Just raise your hand. They'll come over to you like we used to do in church. You know, they said, you got that dollar, just raise your hand. We'll come get it. Right. So find five people in Mississippi and text them and ask them to join you on live stream. 
And then when you go at the rest of the day, I want you to text this out to everybody you know that wasn't here so they can go look at it, right? So they can go look at it. And uh, thank you, I'm gonna give you a minute to do that. Organist, I know you know a little bit about that organ. Play a little texting music, whatever. You know, in church you got offering music, you got prayer music, you got backup to preacher music. I know you got some texting music. Doc, you make that hammer sound real over there, you know. Okay, he told me wrong. That, that was a, let's go back in. Text breach repairers. What? Breach repairs slash live stream. Okay, breach B R E A C H. Repairers R E P A I R E R S slash live stream. Now my organizer, my live stream folk. Are we wrong? Dot org. Okay, now I'm gonna get on y'all because I got here late. Y'all supposed to have this up here. Video, videographers and organizers. Right. So this podium is wrong. This is wrong. Well, right? This is right to organize people for the organization, not no. the live stream. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But it ain't right for the live stream. Right. I want the live stream. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Breach repairs. Y'all got it. Breach repairs. Dot org slash live stream. If you're listening to us, tell some people. Now, if you want to get emails and text messages, you just text to this number, okay? Okay. I'm an organizer, because Jesus was an organizer. Y'all didn't hear what I said? Jesus was organizing. He organized 12 folk, and then they organized some more, and they organized some more. On Pentecost, they got another 120, and now they're billions. But he didn't start with but 12. And one of them was a devil. Touch your neighbor and say, that ain't you, is it? <laughs> right. So to my organizer, live stream folk, when I, I'm, I, and I coach in the moment. I'm a coach. I coach in the moment. I don't wait till after moments because people forget. So from now on, what you know is on this podium should be both the live stream link and the link for people to text so they get information. We need both hands. Y'all got it? All right. And my folk don't get mad when I correct them. They like, they see, because Michael Jordan became great because Dean Smith coached him in the moment. Yeah. He, if he couldn't have taken any instructions, he'd have never gotten great. Yeah, he would shoot a shot, Dean Smith would say, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Right in the middle of the game, come here, come here, come here. And he said, now look, if you shift your foot that way, hold your hand that way, you'll make that shot. And Jordan would say, okay, and he'd go back out and do it. Boom. Any folk that can't be corrected in the moment don't need to be on your team because they're hard-headed and stubborn. And stubborn folk ain't going to get you nowhere but in trouble every time. All right, can y'all see me because I feel like I'm looking awkward. Can y'all all right over there? Okay, great. Now, I said God proved to me. I didn't know when I was coming here, I had been feeling bad. I had been having some tiredness and different things. And um, the doctors told me it was reflux. You know, so I took the medicine. Then I had an attack and they said it was reflux. And I said, okay. So I was in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, consecrating some bishops and uh, um, ordaining ministers. And I was on the preach. I didn't tell none of my staff. I literally left the room saying, this is my last sermon. I'm sure that, I'm sure. And, and it was strange, I wasn't scared. You know, I ain't gonna keep preaching my heaven, then don't wanna go there. Now I wasn't in no hurry neither, but I, I was like, <laughs> I was like, if this, you know, what better thing to be doing than preaching the word, you know? And so I went, I don't even remember the sermon. I remember little pieces of people said, the Lord bless 
And then I went back to the room. I, I pulled myself. I said, "Now nah, it can't be no heart attack because you don't heart attacks don't last no five, six, seven, eight hours like this." So anyway, I went back. I drove back home. They, these guys drove me. Told my doctor. Went to my doctor. Hospital immediately. He said. When we came in the room, he said, "We got a test you for eight different kinds of cancers because of the symptoms you have." I said, eight? He said, "Yeah." I said, "We're gonna start with pancreatic cancer because your brother died suddenly from um, pancreatic cancer, undiagnosed." And he was the only one in our family that ever had to pull it back from here. So they went through that process. In the midst of it, one of the senior doctors kept looking, and he said, there it is. They tell me. He said, it's not cancer. It's gallstones. But it's an acute form of gallstone. Got to have surgery immediately. Because the doctors couldn't figure out why it already had not burst and poisoned my system, especially while I was preaching. So they put me in. I had to do some things, some surgery. Then the surgery was supposed to be 45 minutes, lasted three hours because of my anatomy. They were using the robot, and they couldn't get to it, so they had to create another incision that they don't normally use. So they had to come up with a new procedure rather than cut me all the way open. But thank God that God can even reveal stuff to the doctor. And my surgeon told me, he said, I don't even know where I thought of that. He said, it just came to me. I said, I know what you thought of. Huh? Because I know somebody who's a doctor that never lost a case. Y'all hear what I'm saying? And so they went in there, they pulled it out, and I had asked him, I said, I want to see the gallbladder afterward. He said, it was so ugly, I'm not even going to let you see that. I don't want that in your mind. He said, but I will tell you, you had over 50 gallstones. And uh, he said, push that back some more. He said, and thank you. And two of them were the size of marbles, and one was the size of a golf ball. And if it had gotten in your bile duct, it would have been, you know, possibly catered by the door. And that's what was draining your energy. That's why you couldn't eat, because I couldn't even sip applesauce. Every time I drank water, it hurt. And I said, he said, and I, he said, you know, I don't know what, how, he's, he's from India. He said, I just don't know. I said, I, 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 I know. Huh? And, and, the way I, and the way I know it, won't he do it? Won't God do it? <laughs> Now, if he still has work for you, he's going to keep you here. Amen. Amen. And so I'm thankful. So I come here out of that. I'm still 100% better. Uh, the thing you see me with the cane, I've been battling pain 42 years, but God is good. Because God will do two, another kind of miracle. It's called the keeping miracle. He doesn't move the problem, but he keeps on keeping you. Huh? You got a thorn in the fresh, you know. And so, um, I, you know. I have a thorn in the flesh with that, but God has continued to let his mercy and his grace be sufficient. And then he healed me of gallbladder. I was in Texas last night in, 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 in Fort Worth. And then we got on the road, drove here, and we'd be here. So I come here Holy Ghost happy. And it's about hard for me not to shout anywhere I am. I, I don't know. I just, I've already shout prone, you know. And don't you do that. Mm -mm. Don't you start on that organ. <laughs> We'll be here for a while. Amen. But I'm thankful, Sister Crowell, of your request. Because maybe because you asked me to come, God let me live a little while longer. Who knows? Who knows? Because y'all are not just in an election. You are in a history-making moment. Uh, you have a chance in this state to revive the third reconstruction. You have a chance in this state to prove that the South can rise anew. See, it started in 2008 when North Carolina 
uh, uh, it went for Obama first time, uh, I can, you know, I'm not talking partisan, I'm just talking history. And then he won Florida, and then you've had some changes, something happened in South Carolina. And if Mississippi breaks wide open, Oh, Lord. Yeah, and God's been setting y'all up for a long time. Now, I will tell you, you got to have some people here that's ready for the setup. Because you do have some people here, black folk, that ain't ready for the setup. They've been cutting deals so long with the group that's in, they scared for a new group to come in. Oh, I ain't scared. And it's got something to do with this here. Huh? Yeah. But there has to be a change. So I'm thankful to be here. Now, I might sit down some, okay, and get up. Lastly, we, I didn't come here for bumper stick. Could, I could come here with a bumper stick and holler 15 minutes and everybody run over and it wouldn't do no good. Because a rally does not move votes. You got to have a rally and a strategy. So I've come here to teach tonight, and we're going to do some work together. I know what can happen. Last year, our organization took 400 people we trained and reached 7 million voters. 7 million. I got the record. I'm not somebody that came up with it off the top of my head. Using technology, using knocking on doors, in 2020, we reached 7 million voters in 15 states, poor and low wealth voters of every race, creed, and color. Because the, the day poor and low wealth voters are the key, not just black, and poverty is not just by black folk. Poor and low wealth voters are the key. And I'm going to talk some about that. But there's a methodology you have to use, but you won't even use the methodology until, you, until somebody proves to you where you are and what is possible. So to everybody on live stream, I'm doing this so it's a teaching. Folks can sit in their living room and get this teaching because you can't be free without truth. So folk are not going to get free. You, you, can, you can holler at folk all day and tell them to do stuff. But if they don't have the truth, they can't get free. And if they're not free, they're not going to go to work. I'm, I came to tell you all, Pastor Dickey, y'all got about 100 folk in here tonight, you can take Biloxi. That's right. Huh? With a, with a methodology, you can actually reach every voter that has not voted in this city through technology and other things. You can touch them. And I'm going to leave uh, something with you, uh, uh, organization y'all can contact, and they can, in, in, in less than a week's time, they can give you all the walking lists you need, the telephone you need, and you can break this thing up church by church, organization by organization, individual by individual. And you don't even have to be partisan. You can be nonpartisan, but you can be very prophetic. All right? But before we get there. How many of y'all have heard, in, you know, when folk would testify, and sometimes they would say, if we ever needed the Lord. Now, how did they say it? They said, we sure do. They didn't say sure. They weren't proper. They said, if we ever needed the Lord. And they didn't say Lord. They said, the Lord, L-A-W-D. If we ever needed the Lord, didn't grow well. We sure do need the Lord now. Well, I want to hip-hop that. I want to remix that. If we ever needed to vote, we sure do need to vote now. And we got to understand that the right to vote is not just something in the Constitution. I know the 15th Amendment guaranteed the right to vote, but it's not just the right in the Constitution, uh, but it is a right 
That's a human right. It's a God-given right. It's born out of struggle. The right to vote is a gift from God. Nobody, no other creatures have a right to vote. Dog can't be nothing but a dog. Cat can't be anything but a cat. Monkey can't be anything but a monkey. But God created us in his image, which gives us the ability to choose, to make a choice. That's why if you ever talk to Jewish rabbis, they will tell you that the same word for vote in voice is the same word in Hebrew. So whenever you sit here, it says, and the voice of God thundered, the word there is kol, K-U-L. It also means the vote of God. It means God made a decision. And to be created in the image of God means we can make decisions. When the Bible says in Isaiah 58, lift up your voice, your coil, K-U-L, like a shofar, like a trumpet. Lift up your voice. In other words, everybody has a call. Everybody has a voice and a vote. But you got to lift it up. You got to use it. And 2,600 years ago, the prophet said to every nation, it is very clear what the Lord requires. Not ask, but requires. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. That's a requirement, right? That's something you ought to judge everybody you vote for about. Are they trying to do what? Do justice. Are they trying to love mercy? And are they walk? That's not whether they're Republican or Democrat, but are they trying to do justice? In fact, there are 2,600 scriptures in the Bible that tell us how we should treat, be acting in relationship to the poor and the marginalized and those on the, on the, on the edges of society. 2,600. I, I, I started to bring it with me, but some of y'all you know, might be too, too, too religious to handle it. See, in my class at Yale, when I teach, teach students, and I have a Bible that, well, it's not a Bible, it's verses of the Bible cut out in a cellophane bag. I bring that in the class, and then I show them the Bible that it was cut out of, and it all falls apart. They can't hold it. And they say, what's happening? I say, because when you cut out justice and love and mercy and treating the children right and treating the poor right, you don't have nobody. See, the number one sin in the Bible is idolatry, self-worship, refusing to worship God. The greatest second sin is mistreatment of those poor. That's why Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, said the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the who? Poor. The word poor there is a Greek word, patokos, P-T-C-H-O-S, which means those who have been made poor by economic systems of violence. And then at the end of his life, he said, I'm going to say to the nations, not to the church, not to the individual, I'm going to say to the nations when I was hungry. Nations in that text means governments. Governments. Isaiah chapter 10 says, woe unto those who legislate evil and rob the poor of their rights and make women and children their prey. Jeremiah 22 says, go down to the king's house. Don't send him a text. Go to the governor's mansion. Do not send him a letter. Go down there and tell them, this is what you should do as king. Treat the poor right. Lift up those. Help those who are being hurt. Don't stop killing innocent people. And then God will bless the nation. Over and over again. Hmm. Public policy to be concerned about. I want to thank the pastors here and the ministers because let me tell you something. The very fact that you opened the church up for this proves a lot about your calling and that you are not engaging in pastoral malpractice. Because there are a lot of pastors that ain't interested in nothing but their anniversary. 
And the sad thing about that is, they're not out here fighting for people to have a living wage. They're not here fighting for people to have health care, but they want you to get that money for an anniversary. And what I say to all of them is that is nothing but malpractice. How you going, how, how in the world can you ask people to give for your anniversary and you as a pastor are not being prophetic and trying to change the system that will make sure that your members have some money? That you cannot separate Jesus from justice. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and pastor, however you want to line it up. But you can't separate. God told me one time, he said, uh, Bishop Barber, I am um, not called to be a prophet. Um, I'm called to be a prayer warrior, and I'll be around here praying for you as you are doing those things. And I said, why don't you just say you're scared, Negro? That, that'd be better. Just say you're scared. Don't, don't be trying to tell me God didn't call you to be a prophet. God, God called all preachers to be prophets, to speak prophetically. What do you think speaking the truth is if it ain't being a prophet? A prophet is not somebody that says, ooh, you're going to get a car tomorrow. That's a fool. That ain't a prophet. Ain't no prophet. Prophets stood up to the powers that be. They stood up to Caesar. They stood up to the kings. They challenged the nation to do right by the least of these. They, as Jeremiah 6 said, the prophets stood up to those that were lying. So the first thing, if we're going to move these votes, Sister um, Cromwell and others, we've got to know the moment we're in. Can I tell you the moment we're in and why, if we ever needed to vote, we shouldn't need to vote now? We sit here this evening, mark 404 years since the first ship landed in Virginia to bring slaves. What y'all think? That's today. Tonight, we are 250 years since Crispus Attucks was the first African-American to die fighting for this country. Actually, was one of the first Americans. Tonight, we are 240 years since the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Tonight, we are 236 years from the, from the ratification of the Constitution that said that we were three-fifths of a person if you were black. But it also said women, even if they were white, they couldn't vote either. It also said if you were a white man and you didn't own land, you couldn't vote either. Here we are tonight, today, 174 years since Harriet Tubman escaped with slavery. And since Harriet Tubman said whenever you went with her, if you escaped with her, she would tell you, now you're going to be free. Because sometimes folks would want to go back. She said, mm-mm. You're going to be free now. <laughs> you're either going to be free in Canada or free in heaven. <laughs> You either gonna follow this North Star or I'm gonna shoot you with this 38, but you ain't going you ain't going back. I mean she did. She said, but you're gonna be free. Right? And if Harry Tubman had that kind of courage 174 years ago, surely we gotta have courage today. Here we are tonight, 171 years after Frederick Douglass delivered his 4th of July speech when he said America. Fourth of July celebrations are nothing but fraud, bombast, and hypocrisy until she does right by the sons and daughters of slaves. Here we are, 160 years since the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation, 158 years since the end of the Civil War, 
Here we are tonight, 155 years since the 14th Amendment that promised equal protection under the law for all persons, not all citizens. That's why it's wrong to treat Latinos that are coming home. See, they're not, they're not aliens coming to our country, they're coming home. We stole their home, Texas, New Mexico, California. Just like we stole the Native Americans' home with the Louisiana Purchase. They're not, they're not aliens. That's why when we, the 14th Amendment saved the Constitution, because it said you have equal protection under the law if you're just a person. 155 years ago, 153 years ago, since the ratification of the 15th Amendment. And remember what the 15th Amendment said. No one can abridge or deny the right to vote. How old are you, young lady? You, huh? 14, good, I'm gonna teach you this, okay. In the 15th Amendment, what it says is nobody can abridge. Abridge means if I open up ways for you to vote, somebody can't come around and tear those bridges down. See, it's not that just I can't deny you the right to vote. I can't take away the bridges. So if, if somebody votes and puts same-day registration in place, you can't come along and take it away because that means you are what? Abridging the right to vote. fourteen years since the Niagara Movement became the NAACP. And by the way, you know that the, the people that wrote, the four people that wrote the original call for the NAACP were all white. See I, see, I tell folks, people say, are you a black leader? I say, no, I'm black, but I ain't a black leader. They say, you ain't a black leader? I say, no, I'm not going to limit myself to only being able to talk to black folk. I can talk to anybody. Are you a black preacher? No, I'm a preacher who happens to be black. I can preach anywhere. What do you mean am I a black preacher? No, I'm, a, a black, I'm a black, but that, that's because of the politics of race. That's the only reason we call, that's the only reason people call white. White was created as a distinction in order to set up slavery and segregation. People once weren't known by their color. They were known by where they came from, by their land, right? Their country, right? But here we are, 88 years since the New Deal. 88 years since Franklin Delano Roosevelt had people hate him because he dared to talk about Social Security and minimum wages. And he had a whole group of preachers that the corporation Sun Oil and uh, some of the big gas companies, found, they paid them to go out here and take over pulpits. You can read it in a book called One Nation Under God, The Purchasing of the American Pulpit. And their whole goal was to stop the New Deal because they did not like the fact that women were gonna get Social Security and minimum wage and, and poor white folk and black folk. That's why black people couldn't even, if you, well, they, they, the way they did it was they said if you were in the agrarian farm culture or domestic culture, you couldn't pay into Social Security in 1935. That's why a lot of people in Mississippi didn't get into Social Security until 1954 when it was opened up. That's 19 years later. The reason was because they made a compromise with racist Southern senators who said we don't want our women to get an advantage and we sure don't want black folk to get an advantage. And so they said, well, most black people work in the farms and, 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 and as domestics. And so when they passed the original Social Security bill 88 years ago, 50% of white women didn't qualify. Most black women, most black men. Here we are tonight, 85 years since the Labor Standard Act. We said that a minimum wage was 
25 cents an hour. 25 cents an hour. And Roosevelt said then, any corporation that wouldn't pay a minimum wage didn't deserve to be an American corporation. Now it was 25 cents in 85 years ago, it's $7.25 now, and we haven't raised the minimum wage since 2009. That's 14 years. The March on Washington called for the minimum wage to be $2 an hour in 1963. It didn't happen, and they wanted it indexed with inflation. So if the America had, had not just said, I have a dream, but had actually approved the agenda of the March on Washington, the minimum wage today would be $17 an hour. So I, I'm trying to say where we are, because see, some people don't think we, need, need, we don't need to do any more work. We got it. We all arrived. I'm just trying to lay out a foundation here. Here we are. Somebody say, here we are. Sixty-nine years since the Brown versus Board of Education. Sixty-eight years since the brutal murder of Emmett Till. Sixty-three years since the sit-ins in Greensboro. Sixty years since the murder of Mega Evers. Here we are. And you know, a lot of folk got mad at Mega Evers in the national office. I'm not national office in the NAACP. Because they didn't like Mega, because Mega was pushing. Mega was also connected to that doctor. What's his name? Y'all know him at the black, the black town down here. What's that called? It was back, huh? No, the, the Mason. It was his name, right. That's right. Theodore, right? Wasn't it Theodore? Was his name Theodore? It was Mason. I know it was Mason. Gilbert, that's right. And, and he was about action. And he had trained Mega. And when Mega started pushing some stuff, some of the folk in the national office didn't like it. In fact, they told him, why don't you start, we ain't gonna put no money in that stuff way down there in Mississippi. Uh -huh. That's why down in these southern states, I, I love the national, but y'all can't wait on the national to get busy. That ain't never been the case. Hmm? We did Mall Monday in North Carolina and mobilized for 12 years put 80,000 people in the street, registered 10% of the unregistered voters, turned out an extremist governor, voted in a more progressive governor, voted in a progressive Supreme Court and appellate court, won and beat the worst voter suppression case since Jim Crow. We didn't get a dime from National. When we organized 170 organizations of all races and creeds and color, now, I'm not knocking them, I'm just saying, it's always been the case in the South that people in the South had to have to rise up. Here we are 60 years since the Birmingham bombing of four girls in Birmingham. Here we are nearly 60 some years, and we've got to remember this, that Mississippi was the home of the State Sovereignty Commission. See, you've got to know this history because you see it repeating itself. Mm -hmm. The State Sovereignty Committee, 1956 to 1977, it was overseen by the governor. See, mean Southern governors ain't nothing new. That's right. People using the state house to get around the Constitution federal is nothing new. That's right. And the object of the sovereign, Sovereignty Commission was to protect the sovereignty of the state of Mississippi. Watch this, and her sister state. In other words, the goal of the Sovereignty Commission was to be born in Mississippi but to spread throughout the South. And what they said was, and you gotta know this language when you hear it today, they said federal law was an encroachment on our authority. And we don't want anything federal. Now, really, that they're lying about that because, first of all, 
a lot of these big time multi agricultural farmers get a whole lot of tax money, even when they're crying against taxes, right? Tax rating taxes. And they always want tax cuts. The problem with tax money coming into the South was when the government said you can't get it unless you use it to help everybody. That's, that's when it became a problem. It was not a problem before then. It was a problem when you can't get Medicaid, for instance, unless you open up your hospitals to all people. But the sovereign committed it. Sovereign committed it. The governor, the lieutenant governor, were ex officio ministers. They spied on and conspired against civil rights activists, right? They organized pressure, economic oppression of, of white folk that stood with black people. Here we are, 60 years since that. Here we are, 60 years since Aaron Henry helped organize the freedom vote. Y'all know what the freedom vote was? It was a mock statewide general election. They had their own election to parallel Mississippi's gubernatorial election. Since Mississippi wouldn't let them vote, they voted anyway. They set up their own election, 1963. And he said, if we show the power of the vote, eventually the federal government is going to have to move. So Aaron Henry and that crowd helped make the Voting Rights Act of 1965 come into being two years before it came into being by what was going on here in Mississippi. Yeah. Huh? 59 years, here we are 59 years since the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Huh? They challenged the all-white Mississippi delegation, right? They challenged it. They challenged it in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And Fannie Lou Hamer was so bad that when Sister Girl started testifying, Lyndon Bain Johnson got so scared he had a fake, fake uh, press conference. He said, if the world listens to this Mississippi girl, she gonna turn the world upside down. Right? Here we are, 59 years since Fannie Lou said, there comes a time when you get sick and tired. Sick and tired. Here we are, 58 years since Johnson, Lyndon Bain Johnson, signed into law Medicare and Medicaid. When you see people trying to roll back Medicaid, they're trying to roll back something that was put in place 58 years ago. But when it was put in place 58 years ago, here was a caveat, you can't get it unless you open up your facilities to everybody. Here we are, 58 years since Dr. King said that the only voting block that could change America would be for black folk and poor whites and low-wage workers and Latinos to come together. To come together. Here we are 58 years since Bloody Sunday. Here we are 58 years since Malcolm was killed. Here we are 55 years since the assassination of Martin Luther King. And you heard me say, we're 60 years after the March on Washington. How many of y'all know the agenda of the March on Washington? Anybody know the agenda? Because I'm, I'm starting to get bothered. You know, people want to have fellowship, like remembrances. Let's remember the March on Washington. No, you don't remember prophets. You imitate them. All right. But if we go up and we think, and people try to teach us the only thing that was said was, I have a dream. No. <laughs> I have a dream didn't even belong to Dr. King. It belonged to a black woman named Paritha Hall, Paritha Hall, who was a Princeton grad. He heard her pray, I have a dream. And he borrowed it, like preachers do. They don't call it stealing, they just call it borrowing. Let me tell you how a preacher would borrow something. The first time he, he borrowed, he'll say, and I heard Pastor Dickens say. The next time he preached it, he'll say, I heard a preacher say. 
And then the next time when he get it, he said, I heard the Lord say. <laughs> but Dr. King spent 17 minutes talking about the nightmare. John Lewis talked that day about how the 64 Civil Rights Bill was too weak because it wasn't helping poor white folk and poor black folk by the thousands. They wanted a civil rights act that covered living wages and minimum wages and labor fast standards and, and voting rights and education and health. They wanted one big omnibus bill. It got watered down and filibustered by Southern senators. Right. The first agenda item was, as I said, a $15 minimum wage. The next one was a federal job, guaranteed living wage job for every able-bodied person. Here we are. Somebody say, here we are. Here we are 14 years since Barack, whose name means praise the Lord, was sworn in to be president of these United States. He was probably the first president that could have really helped us on race, but he was forced not to talk about it. You ever thought about what they did to our president? He had to lessen his blackness in order to lead this country. That's why I'm not too hard on things he didn't do. Remember when he went to South Carolina after them folk were killed? Nikki Haley was sitting there. Nikki Haley had created an atmosphere of violence, and I mean, of, of, of hatred in that state. She had blocked voting rights. She was against more money for public education. She wouldn't bring down the, the Confederate flag. Here comes the president. On that day, he should have been, been able to talk about how this killing was terrorism. He should have been able to, uh, to articulate black folks and anybody who believes in justice, righteous anger. But instead, he had to sing. Think about that. President of these United States, most powerful voice in the world, and he had to sing. And he had to sing Amazing Grace, basically saying black folk didn't even have a moment to mourn. Y'all hurry up and forgive. Y'all hurry up and get over it. He couldn't even say to the governor, Governor, you need to bring that flag down. You need to pass that money for public education. If you really want to honor these folk that are dead, you need to pass living wages and labor rights. Couldn't say that. Most powerful man in the world. And he had the same. That's where we are, y'all. Now, we've seen a whole lot of things change, but we've also seen a whole lot of things trying to go back. And they will go back. If we don't recognize, if we ever needed to vote, we sure do need to vote now. Now, let me tell you where we are economically to make the case, and then we're going to do some work. Poverty in America right now, give me this seat. Let me see, can I use it? Right now in America, in 2019, before the pandemic ever hit, there were 140 million poor and low wealth people. Did y'all hear what I said? 140 million poor and low wealth people. Not 39 million. Can y'all hear that on the live stream? But 140 million poor and low wealth people. That's 53% of all our children and 43% of all of our adults. Think about that for a minute. 140 million people in the richest nation in the world 
in 2019 who are living $400 from economic ruin. Now let me break it down for you a little bit further. Now I said this one time, I started doing these numbers, and Pastor Dick, give your folk a break if they do it. I said these numbers one time and a deacon cussed, it really did, he, he just couldn't take it no more. Cause he, he had, see he, had, he, he, he thought there were only 39 million people that were poor, cause that's what we're taught. The government tells us, you're not poor if you make $13,000 a year. See, he almost called you deacon, pray for him, pray for him. He, he got right up to the edge. You, could, you heard it, but he pulled it back. He said, Sh you know goodness well, you, you ain't poor if you make 30, come on. But that's what the government says. So what they say is if you make $14,000 a year, you're in the lower middle class. Oh, that's today, I'm not talking about, yeah. So, so before COVID ever hit, there were 140 million poor and low wealth people in this country. Watch this. 60% of all black people are poor and or low wealth. That's 26 million folk. I often ask the question, you ask which folk today, they say, what's the top civil rights issue for black people? They'll say police violence. I said, really? Why? Because police kill for us. I said, okay. They'll say uh, 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 voting rights. I said, okay. They don't say poverty. Even though 60% of our people live in poverty, 24 million people, 64% of Latinos, 38 million people, 40% of Asian, 8 million people, 60% of indigenous native people, 2 million, and 33% of white people, which is 66 million. So black people are 40% more poor than white people in percentage and in impact, but white people have 40 million more white people. Don't you think black and white folk ought to be getting together on that issue? Yeah. And one-third of all poor people live in the South. One-third of all poor white people live in the South. Now watch this. Poverty is the fourth leading cause of death. Poverty kills more people than, than, than homicide, than police, than diabetes, than respiratory disease. Poverty. It's the fourth leading cause of death. Today. A low-wage job ought to have a a sign on it said, this job is hazardous to your health. <laughs> Think about that, 800 people die a day from poverty. 200, almost quarter million people die every year. Now when, when, when that many people were dying from COVID, what do we say it was? An epidemic. But 800 people dying from poverty, you, you, you have, when is the last time you heard somebody say that's an epidemic? Because poverty has been made, people make it think it's just black folk, it's just brown folk, and the white folk that are poor, they just lazy or white trash. And these myths keep us from identifying. And oftentimes, even in our, when we try to push people to vote, when we organize, we don't, we don't, we say vote, but we don't talk to them about why. The number one reason people vote, don't vote, especially poor and low wealth people, is nobody talks to them. The number two is when they talk to them, they don't tell them anything about real issues. See, just telling folk to vote ain't enough. You got to help them understand what's happening because you're not voting. What's the consequence, right? Poverty is a policy. It's not because, now I know somebody already said, but Pastor, the Bible says, don't mess with me with the Bible, because I kind of know the book now. They say, the Bible says that uh, the poor shall be with you always. First of all, Jesus was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish boy. So when Jesus quoted scripture, he was thinking about the whole text. 
He, so he said that, but you got to go all the way back to Deuteronomy 14. The poor will be with you always because of your mistreatment. Because you charge them interest. Because you cheat them. It's not like God ordained some people to be poor. And we got to hear, poverty is a result of bad policy. You work, you, I don't care who you are. If you don't work, there's not a county in America where you can work for $7.25 an hour, which is a minimum wage, and afford a basic two-bedroom apartment. Right. Not one county. You work some kind of, at the minimum wage, most states, you have to work almost 100 hours a week at that wage. Poverty is a choice. Touch your neighbor and say a choice. choice. Say choice. Here we are. Here we are right now. The poorest communities were 9% more likely to die each year. Here we are. 50 million people right now work every day for less than a living wage. 50 million people. And two years ago, 49 Democrats and uh, 49 Republicans and two Democrats blocked the bill that was proposed to ensure during COVID that people would make at least $15 an hour. 49 Republicans and two Democrats said no to 50 million people. In fact, one of, the, one of the failures of the Congress, the president wanted to do something different, but they wouldn't push it. And some Democrats went along with not pushing it. That's why you got to check them. When, you, when, you, when people want your vote, you got to say, my vote is a demand. It ain't just a personality uh, thing. I need to know what, what you're going to, what, what have you done and what are you going to do? Right. Not just what party you're in, right? So anyway, uh, uh, um, went into COVID and we called people People before COVID, they were called service workers. But during COVID, they were called what? You said what? He said why? Because essential was a political shift. Because if you're essential, you have to do what? You got to go work. It's like that's why, that's why a person that's in an airport, what they call those people that um, uh, let the planes come in, help make sure they come in, control. They can't quit. There's a federal law. You can't shut it down, right? So what we said is people were essential. Well, who was essential? The people cooking the food, the people doing that. But then we treated them like they were expendable because they were essential, but we didn't give them health care. Essential, but we didn't give them paid family leave. Essential, we didn't wage the minimum wage. What did we do? We, we, we rung bells at night after work and hit pots and pans and, 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 and gave them certificates. Now, I'm at the edge, Pastor. I get kind of riled up because I was getting ready to say I wasn't going to say it, but I was getting ready to say, what the hell I need with a certificate where my child can't eat? But I ain't going to say that because I know where I am. I'm down here in Mississippi at First Baptist Church. So I ain't going to say that. But that's what I felt like saying. <laughs> and I want to, and, and that's why when a politician is running for governor or anybody, you got to ask them, where are you on living wages? Where are you on health care for all? My voters are demand. Because we got real problems out here. Between 2020 and 22, during the pandemic, billionaires' wealth grew by $2 trillion. We created more billionaires during COVID. Over a million folk died so far. 350,000 people died during COVID from the lack of health care, not from COVID. 
In our movement, the Poor People's Campaign, there's one sister that had 21 members of her family, I think 21, 22 members of her family, to die within a 30-mile radius from COVID. Not from COVID, but from the lack of health care. In my own family, way down in eastern North Carolina, one of my kinfolk had 38 members of her family to die. 38 members of one family, wiped out, because North Carolina refused to expand health care, so they closed all the hospitals within about a 100-mile radius. Just like right here in Mississippi, you got a whole lot of hospitals closing because Mississippi has not. And you got to ask a governor, ask her, what, if you want my vote, where, where are you going to expand health care when you get in? Well, we don't want to expand uh, See, that's right, the current one. That's why you got to ask, is there another? And you got to find out who's running against her. And if the other one is running against her, you tell me, I ain't voting for you because you're the Democrat. I'm not voting for him because I'm voting for him because you're for health care. Yeah. See, you don't even have to be partisan, you have to be principled. Right? And well, why are you voting for him for health care? Because I'm a Christian. Well, what I got to do anything with? Well, don't you know Jesus was a healer? And he never charged a leper a copay? Come on, y'all. Don't you know Jesus said the labor is worthy of his hire? I can't vote for somebody that doesn't believe in living right against my religion. It's against my religion to vote for you and you mean. And treat people mean. But, but here's where we are. Where we are right now, 1% of the country owns more than 90% of the American, 90% of the bottom. That's 168 million people. 63% of the workers in this country live from paycheck to paycheck. 50, 63%. Pope Francis, when I was in Rome, I, I, I served on the Economic Council in Rome uh, uh, at the invitation of Pope Francis with some other, I don't know why they had me, I'm just from the country, but anyway, Pope Francis said that um, the economic systems we see in place are unjust at its roots. He said, trickle down economics, that is, if you get a wealthy, the money, it'll let a little bit trickle down. Or, or, or um, the other one where they say, if you just take care of the middle class, everybody else around. He said, both of those are lies. He said, the only reason you, way you can change society is you gotta lift from the bottom. And Martin Luther King, 1965, the end of the summer of the Montgomery March, he said the greatest fear of the greedy aristocracy in this country is for the masses of poor Negroes and the masses of poor white folk to come together in the South and form an economic voting bloc that can transform the, I mean, excuse me, a voting bloc that can transform the economic architecture. And guess what, y'all? You are on the precipice of that possibility. Where are you? I'm trying to make you righteously angry before I talk about how, what we need to do. Because until you get, have a righteous anger and truth, you're not gonna work hard, right. right? Here we are, the average worker today makes $54 less a week than they made 50 years ago. Here we are, 87 million people in this country. The, this country spends more money on healthcare than any other country in the world. They're, we're, they're 25 wealthiest country in the world. All 25, 24 of them offer universal health care except us. 87 million people in this country are either uninsured or underinsured. That's right. That's right. You hear what she said? To 2026 to see a difference in medication. And then, not just in Jackson, but we've got all kinds of communities over here where people can get up every morning and buy unleaded gas and can't buy unleaded water. 600,000 people are homeless, six million people are on the brink of homelessness. 
I'm writing a book right now, it's, it's called White Poverty, how exposing the myths about race and class can restruck America because what they've done is played black and white folk against each other, right? It started with the Southern strategy and, and a lot of you know, the racist senators and whatnot down here. But my argument in the book is that, that we've got to start talking to one another. We've got to t unpack the lies that have been told about white poverty because those same lies then are utilized to tell the lies about black poverty. And then what happens is they split both groups that are the only groups that can really save this country. Poor and low wealth folk. And then lastly, we got less voting rights today, y'all, that we had in 1965. August 6, 1965, when the Voting Rights Act was passed. June 25th, 2013 is when the Voting Rights Act was gutted. We've not had an active Voting Rights Act, Section 5, since June 25th, 2013. That's why these states can pass these laws and they don't have to be pre-cleared. And even some Democrats, some of them, they say, well, the issue is just turnout. No, you can't beat gerrymandering with turnout because the whole goal of gerrymandering is to undermine. You know what gerrymandering is, is when you stack and pack voters in one place. So what's happening now all over the country, they're stacking and packing black voters in one place so that those black votes not, can't connect with progressive white votes and Latinos and elect people of their choice. It's not always about electing black. And some black legislators are part of the problem too because they want a 70% all black district so they can be lazy and stay in office forever. You don't need no 70% black district. You, you 55, 60%, that ought to be enough. But, but too many of them, they cut these deals, right. especially with Republicans in charge. Right. And they say, Give, keep me in office, and I'm not going to think any further than that. And, and that undermines us. Right. Here we are, over 1,000 people, 1,000 voter suppression bills have been passed. Why do you think Trump? Trump didn't get elected because he won. He lost the popular vote. That's right. That's he right. lost the popular He won. He won three states by 80,000 votes where over three million people didn't even vote. And then he got in through the Electoral College. The Electoral College was put in place during the three-fifths compromise. The whole point of the Electoral College is to do exactly what it was meant to do. The goal of the Electoral College was if the population elects somebody that the greedy don't want, then we'll be able to use the Electoral College to keep them out of office. That's why in America you can win the popular vote and still not get elected president. That's right. That's right. You can't do that down here as a senator. You can't do that as the governor. Only can you do that when it comes to the presidency. That's right. And that electoral college has been used, every time it's ever been used, it's been used to put somebody in office who would keep the status quo, who would, use, who would believe in racism or believe in regressionism. So my brother says that's where we are. And if you hear this, and that's just the nation, let me come to Mississippi, then we're going to talk strategy. The reason y'all got to do this, you got to do this, right? And you got to keep doing it. Between 2018 and 2020, there were 1.3 million poor and low wealth, low wage income people in Mississippi. 45% of your population in your state is poor and low wealth. 45%. 45%. Yeah. At the current minimum wage, uh, two adults with two children have to earn 21 hours, $21 an hour to survive. 
at the current minimum wage, an individual in Mississippi has to work 86 hours a week. That means you got to put two weeks in one just to afford a little teeny two-bedroom apartment. In Mississippi, there are 571,000 people, or 45 percent of all the people in Mississippi, black, white, doesn't matter, that work, work for less than a living wage of $15 an hour. That's why I keep wondering why these civil rights organizations aren't making poverty a number one issue. I hear some people say, well, we just need to have black businesses. If the black folk ain't got no money, how they gonna have a black business? You, you gotta have some money to go to the black business. And if you're a black business and you only serve black people, you're not gonna make your money anyway. You got to have a product you can serve to everybody. Right. Why is it? In this, in this state, listen, 526,000 adults make less than a living wage, $15 an hour. That's 37% of Asians. Listen now, that's 62% of black folk. Under your current leadership, the governor and the folk you got, they have blocked living wages, which means 62% of all black folk live in low wages, work for less than a living wage job. Which means that if we were to elect people who would pass a living wage, 62% of black folk would be out of poverty tomorrow. 37% of Asians would be out of poverty tomorrow. 59% of Hispanic people would be out of poverty and low wages tomorrow. 33% of white people would be out of poverty tomorrow. 55% of women would be out of poverty tomorrow. 69% of women of color make less than $15 an hour in Mississippi. That's almost 70%, sisters. 70%. And it's all because of who gets elected. Not one of your Republican uh, legis Congress people vote for living wages. Your governor doesn't vote for living wages. Your senators in, in Mississippi 115,000 people may lose access to Medicaid because of the changes that are being made now. 115,000 people. In Mississippi, one million workers, 80% of the workforce, don't have paid leave. That's not because they're lazy. That's because the people who get elected don't care about the people. They want you to think the issue is, and by the way, you hear these stats that I'm raising? But yet you got most of these folk, like so many people running for government, they, all they want to talk about is gay folk mm -hmm. and against black history yeah. and against women's right to choose. And then they get some of us running behind that. All that stuff is is deflection to keep you from focusing on the real issues, living wage. First of all, ain't nobody asked you to be gay, so why are you worried about somebody? Why you got to be in somebody's bedroom? <laughs> I mean, really. I had a guy get mad at me one time. I said, do you go, do you travel? Yeah, I travel, I go all over the world. And he's, he's one of these guys, you know, he preaches every Sunday, he preaches. I'm starting to wonder, because see, you preach about it too much. <laughs> My grandmama used to say that, said preachers start talking about a particular sin too, or too much, or a particular thing too much. You got to watch that, but anyway. <laughs> he, he pre so I said, doc, I said, you travel? Yeah, I travel. I said, where do you stay? Oh, I stay in the best of hotels. I said, you, you really stay in the hotel? You pay that kind of money? Yeah. I said, you get in the bed? I said, yeah. I said, well, who was in the bed before you? 
I mean, you don't know. You really don't. So why are you going to let somebody get you set up? Well, God, Reverend Barber, you know, the Bible says that Sodom and Gomorrah fell because of gay folk. That's a lie. Ezekiel 19 says Sodom and Gomorrah fell because they were arrogant and mistreated the poor. Now, I'm not trying to chain nobody's mind on what you believe. I'm trying to say just don't be foolish. Don't let somebody tell you they for you because they're against gay people, but then they're voting against your health care <laughs> and voting against your Come on, at least be smart. All right? Then they, they want to say they're against black history. They, they're against history. Or they're against a woman's right to choose. Well, they're really not against women's right to choose. They're against poor women's right to choose. Because wealthy women get to choose. They go to another state. They go to some private. They go overseas. They get to choose. Right? Yeah. And, and it's men that's always hollering about that stuff. You, you don't have to carry. You don't have to, you don't have to face death if something is wrong with the feet. But the point is... You want me to join you in being against a woman's right, uh, for a, right, a woman's right to her body while you are aborting my health care and aborting my living wages. Come on, y'all. All right. Come on, y'all. Let's think, right? People are fooling us. And so here we are, and we got these people. I was, in, I was, in, I was listening at a at radio ad coming over here today on the radio, and it said, I'm running on a God agenda. I said, oh, let me listen at this. And he said, the God agenda is I'm, 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 a, I'm pro, I'm an anti-abortion, anti-gay, anti-wokeness, and I'm pro-tax cuts, and I'm pro-Republican. So I opened up my Bible. I couldn't find that as a God agenda nowhere. Jesus... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Jesus gave us his agenda. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Preach good news to the poor. Healing to the brokenhearted. Recovery of sight to the blind. Deliverance to the captive. To set at liberty them that are bruised. And to declare the exceptional, the acceptable year of the Lord. Now that's the agenda. We got to be careful, y'all. If we ever needed to vote, we sure do need to vote now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So now, if this is the reality, and, by, and then lastly, all this stuff I just shared with you all, it costs more to stay like that. Do you know poverty costs? It, it's expensive for a nation to keep people poor. See, if you pay people living wages, you wouldn't need all this assistance, mm -hmm. right? You wouldn't need public assistance. You wouldn't need a, a, um, food stamps and all that kind of stuff because people would be making a basic living wage. For, in child poverty, we lose a trillion dollars every year every time that we keep poor children in poverty. Somebody said a trillion dollars. Trillion dollars. I told y'all, I didn't come to run tonight. I came to teach. All right. Huh? If we put more money in education, it costs less money to educate a child than it does to put them in prison. Hmm? This is what we got to tell people, right? 
If you produce safe housing, it costs less to have people in affordable housing than to try to help them when they're on the street homeless. Paid family and medical leave improves employment. People work better when they know they got paid leave, right. when they have some health care, right. and when they have a living wage. Right. These are the things that we must talk about and make sure that we're talking to people about. And yet, you got some people that are running around here today, right here in Mississippi, check it. And this is what they're telling y'all. Elect me, and I'll block your health care. They done got bold now. They don't even lie no more. Elect me, and I'll take your voting rights. Elect me, and I'll take your Social Security. Elect me, and if a woman is, gets sick during pregnancy and has to have an abortion, I'll put her in jail. Elect me, and I'll resegregate your public school. Elect me, and I'll put more money in private schools than I will in public school teachers' jobs. Elect me, and I'll ignore your poverty. Mm -hmm. And if we allow them to get elected without a fight, who's the fool? Amen. Now you say, but Rambaba, these are red states. No, they're not. That's what you've been told. Mm -hmm. You've been told Mississippi is a red state. You've been told that Mississippi is a backward state. You've been told North Carolina is a backward state. You've been told North Carolina is a conservative state. But this is the land of Fannie Lou. This is the land of Aaron Henry. This is the land even of progressive white folk down here in Mississippi. And this is the land where God has now fixed it so that the stones that the builders rejected have enough power to be the chief cornerstones of a new reality. No, it ain't Rambala. Listen, let me show you. In Mississippi, in 2020, 1,805,752 poor uh, uh, were the number of low-income voters. Say 1 million, write this down, 1 million, 35,000. I'm going to round it off. That's how many poor and low-wealth voters were eligible to vote. That's people who, if, they, if, if, the, if a candidate was running to ask a living wage, they would vote for him because in Mississippi, 70% of the people say they want a raise, they want a living wage, they want health care. So one million, what I say, one million what? 35,000 poor and low wealth folk. That means people making $50,000 or less in a, four, in a two, two, fam, two a mom and daddy and two children. But, 461,000 didn't vote. Mm -hmm. Write that down. Yeah. And don't get mad and say they just dumb. No. The reason most folk don't vote is nobody talks to them. Even the candidates running for office. When's the last time you had a, uh, you've had a presidential debate on poverty or a gubernatorial debate on poverty? When's the last time you had a, seen a senator or a governor stand up and say, I'm running to end poverty? When last time you've seen them go into the poorest, poorest kind of black and white in the state? Normally, most politicians run the interstate now, right? But what if they would go? Over in Kentucky in 2018, there was this guy who was elected. I don't call him a Republican. I call him an extremist. He was against health care, against living wages. 
We went to Kentucky, Danielle is back there and she'll tell you, and we went to East Kentucky and Louisville, Louisville and black folk, East Kentucky white folk. We went to counties like Harlan County, like in East Kentucky. They told me, remember, I don't go back there, them folk gonna kill you. I said, well, you know, die anywhere. But we went back there, but those folk didn't know that that's where Lyndon Baines Johnson had launched the Poor People's Campaign. So we went back there. And we brought folk from Louisville, some black folk from Louisville, Miss um, Crowell, and white folk from East Kentucky. And we all met in the church just like this. We sung, Blessed Be the Tide of Y'all still remember that hymn? Blessed Be the Tide of Our Hearts and Christian Love. And then I got up just like tonight. I didn't try to hoop and run and holler, I just taught. Then I put a map up on the screen, on the screen. And I said, let me show you who voted against gay people. Let me show you who voted against women. Let me vote, show you who voted against voted for tax cuts. Now let me show you who voted against living wages. Let me show you who voted against minors having union rights. Let me show you who voted against health care. The McCoys and the Hatfields were in that room. Now you know normally they shoot each other. <laughs> right? I, I kid you not. Mickey McCoy got up and said, Reverend! I said, yes sir. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, that's some truth up there on that thing out there. They've been just using us, ain't they? I said, they sure have. He said, well, I can't say what he said, but he said what he said about, about, about playing us. I said, well, what you gonna do? They pitting, they, they, they lying to the folk in Louisville who are black and they lying to y'all out here in these hills. And he said, he said, he said, hold on a second. He said, well, about time we come together. I said, sure is. I started talking like he was talking. I said, show sure is. And he said, Reverend, you can go home now. We got it. <laughs> they went in those five counties, and they took three of them over. All of them had been so-called Trump counties. Mm. You hear what I'm saying? They didn't go just telling people to vote. They went telling people this history, this, this these facts about public policy. And then they told the governor who was running for the Democrat ticket, you better come up here. We're not gonna vote for you just because you're Democrat. You better come up here and let us know if you run and win, what you gonna do. He went and talked to him. He said, if I win, I'm gonna pass Medicaid. If I win, I'm gonna fight for living wages. They, I'm win. He said, they said, that's all we need to know. And they said Kentucky was a Republican state. But when those poor and low wealth white folk who hadn't been voting got together with those poor and low wealth black folk that hadn't been voting, they flipped that state in 2018. And now, Governor Bashir is leading by 20 some points in the poll and is being touted as possibly a, a presidential candidate in a southern state. But it happened when the stones that the builders rejected came together. How many did I say had not voted? 461,000. You want to know what the margin of victory was in 2020? 210,000. So that means there were 200,000 more people that didn't vote that, that, that could have overturned that margin of victory. Plus 200 to spare. Let me tell you something else. With 400,000 folk not voting, Donald Trump won Harrison County with 64% of the vote. But see, you can't look at the percentage. You got to listen deep. You know how many votes that was? 19,000, that's all. Man, you know 19,000 folks didn't vote around here. That's right, that's right. In 2019, Tate Reeves won Harrison County by 58%. But that's not where you need to look. Go underneath. That wasn't but 7,000 votes. 
Do y'all hear what I'm saying? 400,000 folk didn't even vote. In 2020, um, excuse me, and then you keep on, in Alabama, the number of poor and low wealth voters is, is eligible is 1.9 million. The number of poor and low income voters that didn't vote is 829,000. The margin of victory was 500,000. So the number of people that didn't vote outdistanced the margin of victory by 300,000 votes in Florida. The eligible, everybody talking about DeSantis, DeSantis, DeSantis. He's a failed governor. Don't get caught up in this, these deflections. Talk about how, where he stands on living wage and health care. Because in Florida, there are 7 million poor and low income voters. In 2020, 2 million didn't vote. And he only won by 300,000 votes. So it wouldn't take but 3% of those who did not vote, who are poor and low income to vote. In Mississippi, it wouldn't take but about 21%, not even 30%. That's right. That's right. If people understood, in Georgia, two million poor and low income voters were eligible, one million didn't vote in 2020. Can you believe that? In Georgia, one million didn't vote. The year that they elected one of, one million folks still didn't vote. And the margin of victory in Georgia wasn't but 12,000 votes. And a million folk didn't vote. Almost a half million in Mississippi. Now you can't go and call people sorry and lazy. Many times folk are not reaching them. And that's where you come in. Because I think I'm in the house built by the man who said, go ye into the hedges and the highway and come pale. And the word come pale doesn't just mean to tell them to come. It means to talk to them. Inform folk. In North Carolina, where I'm from, I'm so hot, three million folk, poor and low wealth folk were eligible to vote. 1.1 million didn't vote, and Trump didn't win, but by 70,000 votes. That's why we're rebuilding right now. South Carolina, same thing. Texas, Texas, seven million poor and low income voters. 3.3 million didn't vote. President only won, the governor only won by 630,000 votes. That's right. That means over three, it's three, three million more folk didn't vote. My brothers and sisters, we've got to vote. We've got to vote. Now take out your paper. This is how you got to do it. You got to do something called mapping. I hope y'all forget. I ain't hooping tonight. I, I, I can, but that's not my purpose tonight. Right, right. It's called mapping. And you get this room together, like this same room, and I'm going to give Sister Crowell and some other folk an organization that can send to you the list already done by state, by, by, by precinct, by roads. They can, they, can, they can send you a list that tells you who voted, who didn't vote in the last two elections, and how they voted when they did vote. Because most people who make under $50,000 a year, when they vote, vote progressive. Hear me now, that's what the data, forget what the TV's telling you, I'm telling you what the data says. 54% of poor and low wealth voters voted for Biden-Harris. But if you listen to TV, you would think all the poor and low wealth folk and all the white folk voted for 
That ain't true. Now, you gotta expand this room. It can't just be black folk. You gotta go after poor and low wealth folk. I'm gonna give you this site, and what you do is you break it up. So for instance, if you're a pastor, you, 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 re you map the vote, you organize the vote the same way you act after Pentecost. The plan is right in the Bible. Pastors, y'all hear me? What he said is, first start in Jerusalem. So the first thing you gotta do, pastor or whatever, or, or, or president of the fraternity or whatever, is make sure your folk are voting. And don't trust me, bro, to amen on Sunday, because that don't mean they voting. You got to, you got to get you a committee together <laughs> and check your members. Huh? Don't, don't, don't let nobody, uh-uh, uh-uh. Check them, call them, make the buses and the vans, and don't worry about no 501c3 because you can do, as long as you don't endorse a person from the pulpit and, and say that's who the church is going for, you fine. You can tell for the issues, but you first start in Jerusalem. Then you go to Samaria. What's Samaria? Two miles around your church. And, and you say, say what First Baptist is going to take these two miles? And the members of First Baptist, we're going to touch all of the poor and low wealth folks who haven't voted, or at least we're going to touch 30%, because we need 21%, so we're going to do 30 just to give ourselves some margin. And think about if each church and each lodge and each group did that. And you're going to look at the number of poor and low wealth voters who did not vote the last two elections, but when they did vote, they tended to vote progressive, and you're going to push them, you're going to talk to them. And, and look, didn't I give you some fact sheets? Hold them up. And when you map and you go to folks' doors, you take this fact sheet with you. Now, you probably won't take all of that, so you get somebody that knows how to cut and paste, and you make it one page with the most salient issues, and you tell folks, did you know that if you don't vote, you're not going to get a living wage, but if you vote, you can get a living wage. If you vote, you can get health care. And, 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 and that stuff that you see there is footnoted, because the last thing I, like I want to be is loud and wrong. So that what you see on those pages have been researched by the most thoughtful, intellectual people in this country. So the, what do we have to do? We have to map. Somebody say map. Yeah. The second thing we have to do is make sure folk know what's at stake. Don't assume. And when you go to black, black folk to vote, don't just say, well, y'all to vote, for, vote against him because he a racist. See that thing? What do you mean policy-wise? This person running for governor stands for living wage. This person doesn't. This person stands for health care. This person doesn't. It's, it's just right now. And you talk to the people who represent the sleeping giant because as I close, the Bible says that there comes a day when the stone that the builders reject become the chief cornerstone. But in Ezekiel's day, when there was a whole lot of injustice, God asked Ezekiel, can I find one somebody who will stand up and won't so that I won't destroy the land. And he said, I looked for somebody and I couldn't find one. That's in chapter 22. But in chapter 37, 15 chapters later, God said, I know where you can find them. They're in the valley. And, they, and they're dead. They didn't even get a decent burial. They're bones, but they still got ears. 
And if you go down there and preach to them, huh? They, 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 they look dead. They, they, they are dead. They, they didn't get a decent burial. They, a bunch of bones, but they got ears. Not, not physical ears, but they got soul ears. And if you just go down there and preach to them and talk to them and tell them the truth, they'll get up. And when they get up, you get out the way. I'll put my spirit on them. But I need you to go in the valley. Go in the hood. You want to turn Mississippi around? Go in the valleys. Go in the hoods. Go in the places where people have written folk off. And don't let this be your first time. Don't go and just tell them to vote and then leave them because then they're going to cuss you out. Go and tell them I'm with you. I'm sorry that we didn't come by here. You know the Pew Foundation did a study of 50,000 sermons and 50,000 pulpits, and they found out that poverty didn't even register. That, that, that caring for the broken heart didn't even register. That, that in other words, the majority of what's being preached in, a, in pul not black pulpits, just pulpits in general, what, what was not the main things that Jesus preached about. So we got some apologizing to do. But go and apologize and then get people and say, we got a chance here to make a difference. And I think I'll close right here and take some questions. Because you're going to map, right? Hmm? And then you're going to make sure, say make sure, people know why they're voting. And then the last thing you got to do is, is, is make a difference. You got to map, make sure, and make a difference. You got to make a map. Say, make a map. You got to make sure, and you got to make a difference. And the reason you got to make a difference is because our parents had less and did more. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying? With less, they beat slavery. With less, they beat Jim Crow. With less, they beat lynching. With less, they beat the KKK. With less, Terry Tubman got 500 slaves out of slavery. With less, she didn't have Facebook, she didn't have Twitter, she didn't have texting, she didn't have a car. All she had was faith in God and a made-up mind and, uh, and boss on the north side of the tree and a north star in the middle of the night and a 38 on the side. She did more with less, and we must do more with more. So those of y'all that are hearing me online, from now until November, email everybody you know. Tell them to show up. Tell them to show up. Talk to everybody you know. Knock on every door you know. Call everybody you know. Get on the radio. Preach in the pulpit. Make sure, because if we ever needed to vote, we sure do need to vote now. I don't know if Democrats are going to show up or Republicans are going to show up, but I know that poor and low wealth people better show up. And don't you know that if we show up, God will show up. Because faith without works is dead, but faith with works is powerful. I wish I had a witness. God will show up. God always had. When Moses showed up with his rod, God showed up. When David came with his rocks, God showed up. When Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro refused to bow, God showed up. When Esther said, if I perish, I perish, God showed up. God will show up. Well, he will show up. When Daniel stood, the lions went to sleep because God showed up. When a woman touched the hem of his garment, God showed up. When another one gave him some fish and some watered cornbread, God showed up. When Jesus went to the cross, God showed up. Satan's kingdom was torn down. They thought they had won, but early Sunday morning, resurrection happened. 
When Thurgood Marshall went to court, God showed up. When Aaron Henry stood up, God showed up. When Fannie Lou Hamer fought, God stood up. When Rosa Parks fought, God stood up. Every time we have done what we are supposed to do, God will show up. Do I have a witness? Won't God show up? If we ever needed to vote, we sure do. We sure do. Right now. Right now. Stand on your feet. Say, get a map. Get a map. Make sure they know and make a difference. Say, get a map. Make sure they know and make a difference. Say, make a map. Make sure they know and make a difference. One more time, make a map. Make sure they know and make a difference. Won't God show up? Or if I was in revival, I'd say, won't he show up? Has he ever shown up? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. This is our time. In the 1800s, former slaves turned the South around in what's called the First Reconstruction. From 1954 to 1968, black folk and white folk turned the country around the Second Reconstruction. This is the Third Reconstruction. Right now. And I have asked this question during COVID, do I have immune deficiencies? My doctor told me if I had caught COVID before the vaccine, I probably wouldn't make it. And so I went through COVID, but then I heard the story of like the lady who lost 21 members of the family. And one night, pastors, I got real quiet in my bed and asked this question, God, why am I still alive? I ain't no better than them folk. People that have died didn't die because they had less faith than me. They didn't die because somehow I'm more and they're less. And I struggled with that thing. I know I had been, I know I've been around COVID. And why didn't it grab me? And way over in the night, the Holy Ghost said, wrong question. Wrong question. You can never answer the question, why are you still alive? Because you can't figure it out. The question is, what are you going to do with still being alive? See, every one of us here, we got six minutes. If you stop breathing for six minutes, you might be here, but your brain and stuff, unless you're one of those people been taught, trained to, to not breathe for 12 minutes, and then that's not guaranteed, but six minutes. So the question never is, why are you still breathing? The question is, what are you going to use your breath on? I declare using your breath to hate is a waste of time. Using your breath to tear down people is a waste of time. Using your breath to sit home and not fight for justice is a waste of time. Since you still got breath, you ought to use your six minutes, your six days, your six hours, your six weeks, your six months, your six years, or your 60 years. And if you and I will take what we have and use it, God ain't gonna blow on it till you use it. God ain't gonna touch it till you stretch it out. God ain't gonna grab the rock till you throw it. 
God not going to give you a resurrection until you face a crucifixion. But if we do what we're supposed to do with our six minutes, God will show up. You got enough people in this room to take Biloxi. We train. We train 400 people in 2020 and touch 7 million voters. We're using this concept. Make a map, make sure they get it, and make a difference. I'm not saying all of them voted, but we touched them. I want to encourage you to have a meeting, another one. If you don't use the thing I'm going to give to Ms. Crowell and Pastor Dickey, and you, Pastor, you can use this for your churches too. See, because once you map the folk, you can map them for everything. Map them for the River Harbor. If you out here fighting for justice, map them for your church anniversary, your pastor anniversary. But you ain't fighting for justice, leave them alone. No, just... But it works. Somebody said, make a map. Make sure they know. And make a difference. Every pastor, if you got a radio show, you ought to be dedicating at least 10 minutes of it for the, till November, making sure folk know. And making a difference. Get with your white brothers and sisters who are poor and low wealth. We don't do this alone. Don't, don't let folk lie to you, say all white Mississippians are one way. That's not true. It ain't even half true. That's why they're so scared. That's why they're fighting so hard to turn people off, because they know if folk ever realize what kind of power we really have, it's Katie by the door. I, I was talking to somebody from South Africa, and they said, they used to say in South Africa, a dying mule kicks the hardest. Y'all know what I'm talking about. A dying mule kicks the hardest. And what you have is a bunch of dying mules. They know that a mass turnout of votes ends the Southern strategy in the 21st century. Question is, do we know it? Now, it ain't gonna happen by folk just hollering and having a rally and not giving people a plan. It's not going to happen if you don't. The reason I did all of this, so folk can listen at it at home. I want y'all to give it to you. Man, not, don't hear me. Hear the facts. Forget me. I didn't come down here as a personality, but let them hear what's really going on. Let it give them some righteous indignation. And then once they get that indignation, say, come on over here. We got a plan. Because we're going to make a map. We're going to make sure they know. And we're going to make a difference. And we're not going to let our foreparents do more with less. And we do less with more. Touch your neighbor and say, that ain't going to happen. Mm -mm. Not on my watch. That ain't going to happen. Nowhere in the world, I'm going to let my parents do more with less. And then I do less with more. So I got to, what? One more time. Make a map. Make sure they know. God bless your hearts. Is there any questions tonight? I know I went over my hour, but it's been, been feeling mighty good up here. Any questions? Hallelujah. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love.
And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.